0: welcome back to the minimum effective dose podcast i am one of your co-hosts mike perry and i'm here with the international man of mystery brett jones brett how
1: you doing buddy fabulous just uh you know busy crazy getting ready to travel and all the all the craziness that comes along with that and uh yeah um other than that it's it's champagne and bonbons it's a life of leisure
0: do those two really pair well together that's that's the real question
1: I've no I don't know that I've ever had a bonbon, so uh I just I just remember that that was always what Peggy uh was eating in on uh, married with children champagne
0: and bonbons well today's <laughs> podcast is not about champagne and bonbons um but we could do a you know like a a good pairing you know with like a an adult beverage with a snack but maybe maybe we'll wait on that but so <clears throat> Uh, before we actually started recording we were talking about um, ballistics and and referring to swings and and snatches and we were talking about you know when is when is it too heavy and uh i think one of the trends we've seen is well let me preface it by this is i i understand people's intent right they want to they want to do heavy things and they want to lift a heavy kettlebell and they want to swing a heavy kettlebell but at a certain point you're not really swinging the bell or snatching the bell. You're reacting to that load. And and I see it more so with, uh, with swings, because if you try to snatch too heavy, you're just not simply going to get it overhead. But with a swing, we see people grab kettlebells that are really, really big, and they start swinging them. And um, it looks like they're hanging on for for dear life, right? It it looks like um, they're doing whatever they can to not face plant. And I'm not sure that that's the best approach if your goal is really power production, right? So um, you know, it's one of those things where I love heavy swings, but there is a point in which, um, it's just too heavy and there's nothing wrong with it. It's, you know, if you can't squat something, right, you don't you don't just throw the weight on there and, and do a poor job of squatting it. You try to do it with good quality techniques, same things with, you know, deadlifting, et cetera. So, um, the swing is no different. And, um, I, I'm not sure sort of where, where this trend came from, or, or if it's just something that we've seen over the years, because when I first started, I think the heaviest kettlebell that I could even find might've been like a 40 kilo. And that was, that was tough to find. Um, and the, the basic, you know, uh, sort of men's set, if you will, was a 16, a 24 and a 32. And, and that was it. And if you wanted to go heavier, you didn't have the opportunity to go heavier. You had to put a lot of time in with that 32 and build up some volume and then go from here. But now we have 200 pound kettlebells out there. So, um, you know, it, it's just a trend that I've seen and, and I'm not, to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of it. And I'm, I'm a fan of heavy, but I'm not a fan of sloppy and heavy. So, um, Brett, you know. What are your thoughts on that to to start off with? I mean, obviously we're gonna we're gonna dig a little bit deeper, but um what do you think the intent is? Do you think it's just trying something new or showing off? I mean, give me your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I mean, the training tends to run into two problems. Um, and if we this will sound like it's not related, but that shouldn't surprise anybody uh, <laughs> that's listening. Um, when you look at classic kind of calisthenic programming, The answer in classic calisthenic program, if we were talking Hindu squats, Hindu push-ups, or just push-ups and pull-ups and whatever, um, the typical recommendation is more. Um, If you can do 100 Hindu squats, cool, get to 200. You get to 200, get to 300. It's just more. Um, And we see that same thing from a a strength training or a kettlebell perspective. Oh, you're good with the 24? Good. Use the 28. You're good with the 28? Good. Use the 32 and, and there, it's just this constant push. Um, and that has its benefits and its negatives. Um, and to your point, yeah. I mean, when, when I got started 1624 32, uh, the, the 40 came out later. Um, and, uh, you know, finally the, the 48 came out and, uh, we just thought that was insane. Like, holy <laughs> right. crap, 106 pound kettlebell. What am I supposed to do with this? Um, and, but there, you do have these monster bells now. Um, I even have a 56 someplace. Um, I, I, took it out of my training space, uh, when I started training again, coming back from cancer, cause I just didn't want to be tempted to, to <laughs> even do anything with it. But seeing me move that thing in the, in my weekend state, seeing me move that thing down to the basement was, a. I uh, I wish I'd had video of it cause it's funny. Um, but that uh, that drive towards, well, you know, if, if you can swing X, swing heavier, swing heavier, swing heavier. Um, the, the thing that gets lost in the in the mix there and, and having been on a force plate a couple of times and looking at the eccentric loads that are involved, uh, the numbers get real big real quick. Um, I know I can put with a 24 kilo belt. I can produce about three to three and a half times body weight, eccentric load at the bottom of the swing. Uh, That 53 pound weight is giving me three, three to five times body weight, eccentric load. Um, Now run the math and and hopefully we would see that same sort of increase as I started swinging heavier, but I'm going to reach a point where the loads that I can accumulate via that eccentric load are simply too great. I have to I have to put the brakes on so soon uh, that I lose the power production I lose the ballistic nature um, and then you've you referred to it as you know you're you're uh, reacting to the bell <clears throat> and it can be even worse it could be the bell swinging you uh, versus you swinging the bell and so we see that in when that bell is gets heavy enough and you know when you hit that good hinge position with that load that big eccentric, if it crosses a certain point, your brain goes, uh-oh, if I really sit into this, I'm going to get pulled over on my butt. So shins go forward, uh, you squat a little bit more. And and we see a little bit of that when we go into doubles. I mean, if you think about it, if I'm moving double 32s, um, that's a 64 kilo load. Um, if I'm doing double 36, which I was using both of those sets today in my training, um, that's the numbers get pretty big. Like that, those are that's a, that's some heavy load. And so you see that in the clean, but in the clean, we do have a little more vertical action happening. Uh, it's leap versus broad jump if we were to look at it that way. So the swing is a little bit more of a broad jump sort of action. Uh, the clean and snatch are a little more vertical leap sort of action. Um, So some of those adjustments that start to happen, it's just physics and you don't have to think about it. Your brain goes, "Uh uh-oh, and makes the adjustments. And so when we lose the, when that starts happening, and then the other thing that you see is almost kind of this counterbalancing style of swing where instead of powering up into hip extension to propel the bell, you push yourself away from the bell. It's almost like a leg press kind of kick action that you move backwards, the bell moves forward. And so now you have this counterbalance action happening where you're getting pushed back. So the bell goes forward and then the bell pulls you forward as it comes back. And yeah, you'll swing the bell, but it's not ballistic and it's not powerful. And um, yeah, so I'll, I'll shut up for a second.
0: No, I, you know, I think that's, uh, it's super important to understand, um, sort of those nuances and, and, uh, definitely this is something that I think would be a little bit more easily explained, uh, in a video, but, um, that takes way too much effort. So we're not going to do that. Um, but you know, there's a couple of things that I want to sort of chime into about that. So, um, when you are swinging a heavy bell and, you know, you say you finish that swing and, and all of a sudden that kettlebell is coming underneath you. Um, you better have a really quick hinge and you better have the ability to, to lock down that, that spine position, because, um, if you can't create that, that tension and that intra-abdominal pressure at the very, very bottom, so you can stabilize, you you know, your spine as good as possible. We understand that the spine is not this long, rigid bone. And, you know, there's going to be movement in the spine regardless, right? It's, it's not like the spine doesn't move in a swing. There's these little micro movements, but, um, you have to be able to fold really, really quickly. And again, if you try to really sit back, you will, you will almost face plant and come forward. Um, but on the way, on the way up, you're going to see, you're going to see that scooping where we do get that sort of forward shin movement. And, um, because you don't have the, the true sort of hip power to get it done. And then all of a sudden you see the knees come forward and it turns into this other thing. Um, but I think another thing people don't understand is, um, if you ever watch someone that's never swung a heavy bell and they go to do it, you're going to see them start. Uh, and they're going to lose their footing because they don't know how to balance their body weight within their foot. You know, sometimes they're going to fall forward. So as that kettlebell comes up, they're going to go to their toes. They're going to lose their balance. And on the way back as they fold, they're probably going to actually hinge too much and, and kind of move backwards. So you're going to see people lose their footing because they, the rooting is very, very different when you're swinging a heavy, heavy kettlebell. Right. Um, And you need to be able to get that, that you know, burn those footprints sort of into the ground to make sure you're having that, um, weight distribution where it should be into that sort of tripod of the foot, obviously the heel pinky and the big toe, but you want to make sure that you're not having too much weight in your heels, too much weight in your toes. And and, and you want to nail that position because it will send you for a ride. And, um, you know, that's, that's when things can get a little sketchy because, um, you start sort of losing your footing when you're trying to swing a heavy, heavy kettlebell. Um, not only could you lose your bouts, you know, potentially tweak something, um, you know, low back, you could probably tweak. That's probably the one that we're going to see more. Um, but it's, it's just something that, um, is, is somewhat unnecessary. And and in my opinion, if you do want to handle heavy kettlebells, cool, work on some deadlifts, work on some nice explosive deadlifts, and you can do some deadlifts on the minute there's nothing wrong with that i wouldn't recommend doing 10 on the minute with a heavy heavy kettlebell but if you want to build up your endurance cool do some do some deadlifts on the minute or you know however you want to design that but work on wedging work on getting that weight distribution into your into the floor and then work on the lockout and then eventually down the road maybe if you want to try to swing that but build the base first and that's what it's all about is building that base because um there is a point where it's just too heavy. And here's the thing. You don't get the same feedback. Like with a snatch, if you go to clean, if you go to snatch it rather than you don't make it overhead, you don't snatch it. Same thing with the clean. If you can't clean it up to your chest, you don't clean it. But with the swing, you can kind of get away with a really crappy swing and call it a swing.
1: Absolutely. I want to go back and kind of define two things. You you mentioned rooting. And for, for those people, like that tends to be a martial arts term, um, but it's it's your connection to the ground. It is your ability to handle these changes in center of mass uh, by rooting, by connecting to the ground in a way that you handle those those movements, those stresses, um, and then ballistic. You know, we use the term ballistic, and the the definition of a ballistic is it's something that receives all of its energy at once. So if we f- if we shoot a gun and the hammer hits the back of the bullet and the the powder goes off and pew and, and those that's the sound it makes pew 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 um so the, so the the that's all the energy that that bullet's ever going to have and it will be it'll you know accelerate and then it's decelerating um or you know how it maintains its speed uh is a variety of factors between wind and whatever so there's a lot of factors there what is it Where called there's is, a, there's
0: is it called the Coriolis effect on which the bullet spins and then it sort of goes with the earth's atmosphere to something like that it was in I, that movie i think shooting. you're i think you're right i think I, you're right i sounded really smart right there for a second but it's probably i probably it's called it like the cornhole effect or something and it has something to do with games <laughs> in the backyard i'm gonna have to google some, that later but i sounded really smart right there
1: so some, somewhere around there i think you're 100 correct and yes you you <laughs> sounded brilliant um The, um, but we, but if we look at a missile, uh, something that has that internal, uh, fuel and, um, and jet, it, it is receiving energy the entire time it's in flight until it runs out of fuel. So the swing is a ballistic and, and people get confused with this. I'm the height of the bell is not the range of motion of the swing. The range of motion of the swing is at the hips. So when I sit into my hinge and then I extend up into that vertical position, that's full range of motion at the swing, but it's, it's that action that imparts the energy to the bell. And that's the only energy that bell is going to get because we're not lifting with our shoulders. Um, so I kind of wanted to go back and, and talk about those two things because that's, those two things are really important when we're having this conversation. And when we look at the, the physics and we look at force plate information, we look at accelerometer information, um, you, you, you should these days you can probably find a way to find out what's too heavy where do you actually start to produce less velocity less power um i was recently working with antonio Esquilante and we were filming some things and using the accelerometer and um i kind of plateaued at the 40 and 48 in two arm swings they didn't have anything heavier um, cause I, I, would have loved to have kept going with those two arm swings and found that breaking point where I actually produced less, uh, velocity, less power. Um, so an accelerometer could be a great tool to kind of put the capstone on this conversation for somebody that's trying to swing a monster bell and it's kind of became, become a fast grind instead of a ballistic. Um, and then in reference to, uh, snatches, when you go to heavy snatching, Compensations kick in. We get a shrug of the shoulder, we, we we get a jerk, uh, you know, because you're again, your brain's pretty smart. Um we might not always sound smart, but but the brain, you know, has some intuitive to it. And so when you go too heavy in the sash, compensations kick in. So it can go beyond not completing the snatch. It can be that shrug of the shoulder. It can be uh this quick action towards the toes. Uh, you know, there's just some some compensations that can can kick in there. Um, then we lose the arc. Anyway, gets gets all over the place. So the argument I would make right now is would we, or the question that I would ask, which will start arguments, <laughs> would we be better off with the lighter ballistics, heavier grinds? Um, that, that sort of, um, may, um, I, I just think because of the forces that are involved, um, and, and what you can accelerate and accumulate in something like a swing. Um, yeah, I, 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 think lighter might be better there. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the West side model, the conjugate system,
0: that's what it's all mm-hmm. about. Heavy grinds and lighter ballistics. You look at a lot of their, you know, on their, um, you know their speed days they're they're doing 50 60 percent um of their max you know doubles with 90 mm-hmm. seconds off you're not going to do that with 85 90 of your max effort right so there are these guidelines that like louis simmons put out there based off of hey this is what you should be doing on your speed days and this is the overall sort of percentages you should be looking into because you're right at a certain point it blurs the lines Um, so you have to, that's why, you know, obviously having percentages is huge, um, because it, you're, you're taking the guesswork out of it. So, I mean, that's a perfect, perfect example, the conjugate system of like, make sure that your grinds are heavy and make sure that your ballistics are light. And, um, you know, if you do that really, really well, you're going to get stronger overall and you're going to sort of work at each end of the spectrum. But, um, I want to go back to just quickly talking about, um, know the the kettlebell clean and the kettlebell snatch, as we talked about compensations. One of the big things that I see in the clean is um, let's say they're doing a a right-handed clean. You're going to see this quick kind of rotation of the hips and a quick rotation of this T-spine where they actually shrug and rotate to get the kettlebell to land in the rack position. And that usually results in a pissy neck and maybe a pissy low back, right? Because you don't have the you don't have the true hip power maybe it's a strength issue or maybe it's a technique or a timing issue who knows but um again don't don't confuse compensation with adaptation right that's that's a big thing if you're doing it right you're going to get the positive adaptation if you're doing it wrong and you keep doing it wrong you're going to get compensation now the compensation will result in an adaptation but the problem is is that adaptation that you're getting is probably going to be um you know, a a sore neck (laughs) or, you know, a sore, you know, I have had people like, Oh, I can't every time I, you know, swing a bell or every time I do a clean, it bothers my shoulder and my neck. And then I see this big snapping sort of rotational movement. I'm like, well, well, there you have it. Um, and I think a lot of it comes uh, down to using the barbell, the barbell style of cleaning Mm -hmm. and taking that, that sort of shrug component and bringing it to the kettlebell world. And, um, they're just different. Um, they're just very, very different, but it doesn't work well with, uh, with kettlebells for, for a couple different reasons. Usually with kettlebells, you're not doing singles or doubles. Usually you're doing multiple sets of, it could be complexes or whatever, but that sort of rotational part is, is very, very important. Another thing to consider is with a barbell, you know, it's, it's a bilateral movement. You've got two hands on the implement and when you go to clean, your goal is to, clean that kettlebell up shrug and immediately dip under and try to catch that bar as low as possible because we want that bar to move um again the sort of the least distance uh as possible and then you're going to catch it and hopefully stand up with it with with the kettlebell clean you're going to hopefully pop those hips and boom right into that plank and then it's going to set you up for whatever's next and and um we've seen it with the with the snatches too people that they just they they throw their entire body um into the snatch and then what happens is when it gets too heavy what do they do they try to muscle it overhead with their shoulder and that's when they they their whole entire weight their body weight goes into their toes and then they catch it not stacked they catch it in sort of this weird forward position and then they wonder why they're having shoulder issues and neck issues again because they're simply trying to move a weight that they're just not ready for and that's just that's an ego thing
1: yeah, it boils down to not trusting your hips and getting the arm involved early. And so all of these things kind of result from a lack of patience. And what's challenging and and you see Olympic lifters do this really well. You see that first pull is almost excruciatingly slow before they pop into that second pull. And uh that is and if the uh if the arms bend before you finish that second pull, you're, you're cooked. <laughs> um, and that's from from a kettlebell perspective, the things that you were talking about start to kick in where you get the arm kicking in early. You get this twist because you're, you're, you haven't finished your hips correctly. So now you got to create energy from someplace. And so now I can pull back a shoulder and, and kind of crank, crank the bell up into, into position um, and, and get all these compensations happening. The, the patience that you need to keep that arm against the body as long as possible and really focus on extending the hips and letting that energy get to the bell. And then hips drive arms guide. You, you let the bell come up into the rack position, or you let the bell come into the overhead position. Um, the, the work's done. Yeah. Uh, once, once the hips finish and all of those things you talked about are lack of patience and, uh, not trusting the hips and, and having that full, uh, fire through and going too heavy is a great way to have all of those things get ingrained into a bad, uh, motor pattern.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, another component is when people are doing this again, we talked about this, uh, on a previous podcast, um, about power, um, is the way that you design your program and the way that you actually attack your training template. Um, you know, I'm not the strongest guy in the world, but I've, I've gone up and I've snatched, you know, 40, 44 kilo for reps. And, uh, but when I was training for that, my template was eight to 12 sets of two on either side with plenty of rest, you know, and I would kind of ladder up, I would start off and, you know, I'd go like a 20 or 24 and hit a couple really fast reps. And then I'd bump up and then I'd keep on climbing until I felt like, okay, it's starting to It's starting to kind of slow down a little bit. And that was sort of something you have to feel over time. But if you do want to get to that point where you want to snatch a heavier bell or clean a heavier bell, just work a bunch of doubles, work a bunch of triples and rest a lot. That's the simplest way to do it and do it at the beginning of your workout. Don't do it at the end because um, I've actually messed around with like some double cleans where again, I'm doing like, you know, just a single clean, single heavy, clean, You know once uh you know on the minute one or two reps on the minute and that's it and let me tell you um as you accrue your volume you're going to need a little bit more rest and um but i tell you it will make a huge difference in your hip explosiveness when you start getting to the point again where you're cleaning double 32s double thirty sixes, um but you're doing it in 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 a in a situation where you're hitting doubles you know um your hips are going to get strong but when you go and you actually drop to like a 24 then you can obviously up the volume a little bit, but that just comes down to wavering the load, right? That's one of the, the key principles that we use when it comes to programming in the strong first methodology is, is wavering the load. I mean, you can do that with simply every every exercise that you have, you can waver the load. I mean, obviously there's cases like a, a one-arm, one-leg push up, And if it's really hard, it's, it's a lot harder to just waver the load if you're always on the ground. Now you can change heights and you can use implements to make things a little bit different, but um, that's why... You know, programming is a big part of, of uh, sort of the process when it comes to your outcome. Because if your programming doesn't match what your goal is, you're already screwed.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think where um, where people um, get, get off on this or, or get off track, I should say, um, you'll do some work at, quote, lighter weights. So you'll do most of your swings or do most of your snatches in the 24 to 32 kilo range. And then you'll pick up and you'll snatch the 40 or 44 or 48. And now you want to go train with that weight. Well, that's not the weight that got you there. The weight that got you there was moving that lighter weight, uh, with the ballistic intention. Um, training at that weight uh, is a completely different story, but yet, as soon as we can do it, we want to just train at that new weight instead of saying, Hey, look, look what I can visit. I can yeah. visit this weight. And, you know, I, I did that, uh, you know, I, over the years I've, I've, uh, done a decent amount of snatching at like the 40 kilo, um, 32, 36, 40. Um, but I could all, you know, at that point I could pick up and snatch 48, you know, for a few reps each arm. And, and, uh, just as a demo, like I didn't try to train there. I visited. And, and and I think if we took more of a, Hey, I'm going to visit this weight uh, versus now I'm going to always train at this weight. And, you know, I've, I've said a long time ago in an in article that setting minimums is as dangerous as setting maximums. And that's unfortunately what a lot of people do. Well, I can now swing the, I, the the 40, the 56, I can now start. So that's what I'm going to swing. Well, that's not, that's not what got you there. like, keep in mind what got you there and 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 that solid training and and the program design like you were like you were talking about um and you know in the end it comes down to ego um and um, controlling ego turns out to be kind of important
0: absolutely and um you know it's it's one of those things where um you got to put that ego at the door right every once in a while like you said visit the weights if you put the work in you've got a nice base level of strength and you're feeling good and you want to go a little bit heavier cool but like quit when you're still feeling good i think that's that's one of the biggest pieces of advice that i could give people is and i've done it myself i'm having a great session i'm like and i keep pushing i keep pushing because it feels good then all of a sudden you're like you get a little tweak and you're like if i just stopped like two sets ago i would have been money it would have been a productive session but we get this in our head right we're feeling good and we keep pushing we keep pushing and and then all of a sudden we get a little tweak a little twinge i've done it i've literally done it with kettlebells i've done it with sprinting i've done it with running long distance um that's why we need to stick to the plan and we need a solid plan um because you can't go from zero to 100 you need to uh you need to take those necessary necessary steps in between so you know i think to put a bow on it um you know i think that we've got to be patient I think technique is important. I think programming is important, um, but you have to think of all the other sort of aspects within your training program as well, because um, you can't go heavy all the time. You just cannot. Now you're a little bit younger, you know. You've you, maybe you're a, an ex athlete, and you, you know you're a stud athlete. You can lift heavy weights, cool. You can get away with it. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to be strong and healthy as you age, um, you gotta you gotta check that ego at the door, because um, you know the injuries. Um, generally don't go away <laughs> as quickly when you're when you're getting older so um yeah we're, we're gonna keep this one a little bit short today but brett anything else you want to add as we uh wrap this one up
1: just want to key in on patience patience is the key to a lot of things and it, it is it is the key to power and um so practice your patience and um be sure that you're be sure you're actually being ballistic be sure you're, you're actually actually being powerful. Um, don't get too enamored with, uh, how much heavier you can, you can do something. Um, you know, it's accelerometer video, a lot of different ways that you can check yourself and, uh, have a friend, have, have somebody that you can, you can chat with about it. Um, that that's not to say that hitting that overload point where, you know, you've gone a little too heavy. Um, the best way to make a a weight feel light is go heavier. So I get the idea that going heavier allows you to have a spurs and adaptation at that lower weight. As long as you're using it for that purpose, it can really pay off. But again, we start setting minimums and we start wanting to make a new home instead of visit uh, a particular weight.
0: Absolutely. So a little bit shorter one for you all today, but... um... Hopefully you got something out of it. So um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you could do us a huge favor, give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to, and we will see you on the next episode. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.